Gorbachev got angry about it. Our government said to Gorbachev, well, if you don't want us to show how you lie, then don't lie. Welcome to Spice Up Your Life. This uh, is our second interview in English, so uh, it will be a little bit easier, I hope, and also maybe the, the English will be a little bit better. Uh, today we are going to talk about disinformation, and uh, to my help, or as a special guest, I have an author and a filmmaker, but what I would say that the most important for this part is that you are a political scientist, so please welcome our distinguished guest and I'm very honored to present Kathleen Bailey. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So please, uh, Kathleen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, you're right, I'm a political scientist. I uh, got a PhD in political science Uh, from the University of Illinois, and my specialty was the Middle East, which led me to the um, or to be interested in international politics. And I ended up in the State Department, uh, in the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, where I was a Deputy Assistant Secretary. And I know that uh, I came to this interview with you because I had the portfolio at that time of handling what was called Soviet active measures, which contained disinformation. Yeah. I, I've seen you in, in documentaries and I read quite a lot and, and uh, you became, became quite famous um, in the middle of 1980s. And, and you were actually head of a group called Active Measures Working Group. Can you please tell me a little bit about what, what that is? The Active Measures Working Group was formed in the State Department um, primarily as a response to what Moscow was doing in terms of creating forgeries and putting stories that were false in foreign newspapers. And uh, the, the U.S. Congress at that time in the 80s flipped to being a Republican And the person who came in as Speaker of the House was named Newt Gingrich. Mm -hmm. And G Gingrich put in some legislation requiring the U.S. State Department to create a, uh, a report from the executive branch to the Congress on Soviet active measures. And that is when I was tasked to take over the group and expand its responsibilities and actually produce a report, um, which was something the group had not done before. Okay, so, so can you please tell me what, what is disinformation? Disinformation, that's a good question. It's, it's very different from propaganda. Propaganda is when you try to convince someone else that your way or belief system is better And you may stretch the truth, but you don't obviously lie. Mm -hmm. Whereas disinformation is when you tell a lie for the purpose of achieving usually a nefarious or an evil goal. 
So uh, it's when you try to twist the truth or tell lies for the purpose of causing disruption, for causing uh, a society to be in upheaval. Uh, what does upheaval mean? Uh, it's when groups turn against each other, when people don't understand what the truth is, they tend to believe the worst, and they oftentimes uh, become affiliated with groups that oppose each other, and it, it causes uh, it causes people to be uh, against one another and to not trust their government, to not trust anybody, really. It, it, the whole purpose is very often just to cause the society to be uh, torn apart. Uh, maybe I, isn't that a bit what Donald Trump is doing right now? Well, Donald Trump uh, also has his own sort of disinformation, but I make a distinction between, this is going to sound rude, but I guess it is, uh, between ignorance and stupidity versus conscious, uh, purposeful disinformation. Uh, Donald Trump very often says things to make himself look wonderful, and it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It, it, it's a lie, um, but it's to make himself look better, not to cause the society necessarily to be torn apart. But mm. I also believe that sometimes Donald Trump takes the messages from China and from Russia and either retweets them or repeats them so that it actually amplifies or makes the, the sound greater for the message. Well, that's a bit, um, maybe I should rephrase the, the question after watching the, the great documentary that you were in, Operation Infection, but, but maybe maybe I'd rephrase it and ask is, if this is what um, Putin is doing right now. What, what do you say about that? Well, I think that Putin is, uh, I maybe digress a little bit, but I think that Putin is a very interesting character in the disinformation story because he was a KGB operative for many, many years, and he used to be um, assigned to the part of the KGB that was responsible for active measures and disinformation. Mm -hmm. So it is a subject that he knows extremely, extremely well. And that is why I believe, in part, that disinformation has actually become a more uh, used tool since the fall of the Soviet Union and the uh, rise of Russia. So Putin has made sure that disinformation is a part of Russian foreign policy. And is that something, because we, we spoke yesterday, uh, is that also something that you, you are kind of ref were referring to yesterday with something about the University from, of, of Gothenburg? Yes, um, that, that had to do more with the, the Chinese. You know, um, Taiwan uh, 
has been the subject of Chinese disinformation for some time, but since the president who, of Taiwan, President Tsai, uh, a woman, was elected, she is, she is not for uh, joining up with China. She wants Taiwan to be independent, as do most Taiwanese. And so the, the um, University of Gothenburg did a study of Chinese disinformation and measures to try to disrupt um, and cause difficulties during the election this last January in Taiwan. I found that Gothenburg study very interesting because it was the first time that I was able to see uh, documentation of what the Chinese are doing. And I will just give you one example. The Chinese have what they, what they call content farms. These content farms are located in Malaysia, Philippines, and other Southeast Asian nations. And they spend all day, all night online, on chat pages, on Facebook pages, everywhere they can to generate content against the Taiwanese government and for Beijing. Wow. So it, it's, it's very, very intense. And they've also done two other things, the Chinese, that are just now the Russians are, are doing it more, but the Chinese are kind of ahead of the Russians in this regard. Two things. The first is manipulation of video, which is very powerful because when people see something, they think, oh, it's got to be real because I just saw it. And they don't think about the fact that it's manipulated on the equivalent to Photoshop or whatever for video. And the second thing is they have started using text messages because it is much harder for intelligence agencies in the Western countries to find out where the false messages come from when they come via text as opposed to online. But, but can you please just um, tell me a little bit more about the, the, the video to change the video content or the faces of, of people? That's something I've heard about. And, and how does that work? Well, they take um, file footage uh, from you know past videos of individuals like a politician that they want to discredit or say something bad about. Mm -hmm. They'll take that file footage and then they do what is called lip sync. So they make the lips move with the words that they want. And, and they're able to, to make a voice that is similar to that person's voice. And they just put it over in a layer over the video and then they release it and it looks like this person is saying whatever the Chinese want him to say. And it's very disruptive uh, because people say, oh look, you know, he's, he's saying those words. And we know that that person is that person. So it, it's got to be true wow. and it's not true. And, and, and this is something that, uh, that uh, what did you call them? You, you call them content farms in Asia? Towards yeah, content farms yeah. are, uh, you know, it's just like the word F-A-R-M, farm, is where people 
uh, grow things. Yeah. And and so what they're doing is growing content for the internet, and and then they put this out there, and people say, oh well, you know, I've seen that story now 50 times, and when when there's smoke, there must be fire, but that's not true. There doesn't have to be fire if there's smoke. And that's why it is so important for people to now understand the way that these content farms work so that they will raise questions in their own mind. If something seems untrue, maybe it is untrue. But um, how, how can one uh, fight it? I mean, how can I find out if it's true or not true? What, what tools can I use? I think it's it's a responsibility not only of government, but even more so of journalists and media. Um, I will give you two examples, if I may. Yeah, please. One of them is uh, in Lithuania and Eastern, some former Soviet bloc countries. They now have television programs in the evening, like the evening news, only it's called the evening non-news. It's the evening's disinformation. And it's very, very popular because what the what the journalists do is they take the most recent stories from the internet or from the news media or wherever, and they talk about which parts of them are true and which parts are lies. And then they try to give the evidence to support what they what they're what they're saying. So that's that's one way to fight against disinformation is to have those kind of journalists. No. This the, the second uh, I will give you is again from the Taiwan uh, situation when when the Taiwanese realized that the Chinese were trying to uh, disrupt their elections this last January, what they did was they set up a, a government-sponsored or government-supported, uh, financially supported, yeah. um, organization to put out on the internet every single day what they viewed as untrue and why they viewed it as untrue. That was what they did with um, the politician that who, whose example I gave you a minute ago about his lip syncing. Yes. It was very interesting. What the Taiwanese did is they took the real film that had been done five years ago of this politician, and in the background you could see exactly the same thing, so you knew that that video was filmed five years ago. Wow. Then they showed his mouth moving in reality, and then they showed the lip sync. And and so people could see, oh my gosh, you know, this really was a video that was taken from the past and then changed um, with, and to make it untrue. But it can also be used the other way around to to try to convince people that this was not true, but but it actually it's telling another another thing. Yes, that's that's right. It's a constant battle. Now we continue the interview with Kathleen Bailey. 
We were just about to start talking about Active Measures Working Group, which he was running. And uh, the group was formed early during the Reagan administration in the beginning of the 80s as an effort to counter aggressive Soviet propaganda. Let's hear Kathleen tell us about that instead of me. What was it that made you so famous and made this group so uh, famous? I think that the single instance that was most, uh, that had the greatest impact was our fight against the AIDS disinformation story. The Soviets put in an Indian newspaper called The Patriot a story that the United States government produced the AIDS virus in a laboratory as a weapon. And we were very upset. I was extremely upset by that story because I knew it was untrue and I wanted to prove it. So I went back in time. We found where the first instance of the story was, which was in that Indian newspaper, as I said, And then we were able to show how it appeared year after year, month after month in various newspapers. And finally, it had appeared in 80 different newspapers, most of them controlled by the Soviet Union or communist parties. And then the the incredible happened. Dan Rather, who is a very... uh, well-known journalist in America who was uh, the anchor for the evening news on CBS news broadcaster, he reported it as if it were a true story. And that was just a blockbuster. <laughs> and so we found that we had to be able to go, go back and document every single place that this story had appeared and how it came from Russia. We did such a good job of it that George Schultz, who was then Secretary of State, presented the report that I did, or that my group did, to Secretary Gorbachev. Mikhail Gorbachev. Yes. Maybe one should tell uh, the audience that Mikhail Gorbachev was the eighth and the last leader of the Soviet Union. Uh, He was the general secretary of the Communist Party. He also won uh, the Nobel Prize as he was considered one of the most significant figures in the second half of the 20th century. Well, he was the one who actually started Glasnost, which was in the mid of the 1980s, kind of a political slogan for openness and transparency which was very unusual for the communist and totalitarian Soviet Union at that time. And also Glasnost was kind of the the beginning of the collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, he brought a decline into Russian global influence and he's a very influential and interesting person and and, uh, and, and also the, the meeting with him and, and uh, Ronald Reagan is, is uh, something that a lot of people still talk about. We did such a good job of it that George Schultz, who was then Secretary of State, presented the report that I did, or that my group did, to Secretary Gorbachev. Gorbachev got angry about it. 
And he had even read the report. He showed the report to Schultz and Reagan, and he had written in the margins of the report what made him angry. So our government said to Gorbachev, well, if you don't want us to show how you lie, then don't lie. <laughs> and, and Gorbachev, to his credit, said, okay, we'll stop doing this. But of course they didn't. So he admitted that this was a lie. Yes, he apologized. Okay, is this around 1986 or 87? In that time frame, the, the story, the age story first appeared, if I recall correctly, in 1983. But, you know, with this was before the internet, so things moved much more slowly. It's only when people read newspapers that they saw it. In, in When it finally got to television, of course, that made it even bigger news. But today, everything moves so fast because of the internet, and so... What used to take years now only takes minutes. Yeah, but but I'm I'm so curious about the, about the method, the and how how you actually could go back in history and find all these um, articles uh, without the internet and all these things. It was a very labor-intensive process to find all of those stories. There was a publication produced by the CIA. An unpublic, uh, uh, excuse me, an unclassified publication called Foreign Broadcast Information Service. Okay. And what it did was there were five regions of the world that were covered, and it had the lead stories from every major country's um, newspapers in it. So every single day that would appear. And we had people going through looking for the AIDS disinformation story by hand, by eye. Today, you can just scan it and look for it electronically. Exactly. But then we had to find it by hand. And, and, and is this uh, what the Russians were calling Operation Infection? Yes, that's right. Uh, there is a very good... I, I call it good, and I should disclose that I'm in the video, but it's a New York Times video. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's yeah. online, and it's got three segments to it. It's called Operation Infection, and it tells all about that. It's really, really, really good. But May I say something on the yeah. side here? This yes. is an important point. What the Russians and now the Chinese do that is very essential to a successful disinformation story is to find something that is a disaster happening. That's why in the case of um, COVID-19, the Chinese put out the story that COVID-19 was a weapon produced by the United States against China. Yeah. And that was put out by the military intelligence in China. So. What they try to do is find something like AIDS, like COVID-19, or even you know a, a bombing or a fire or anything bad, and then they try to build a story around that to make it the fault of the government or an individual that they want to discredit. Or hide. 
like like the COVID nineteen, uh, they're hiding that it was actually themselves, maybe. Yes. Yeah, it's really interesting because you you, you um, Operation Infection was was, and I know this is a bit before your time, but maybe you do know a little bit about it. And anyway, but in I know that uh, they were also um, the Russians were also discrediting the United States for the summer nineteen eighty four summer olympics or that actually that they the americans were boycotting it do you can you tell me a little bit about that you... well yes that that was a but that was um a story the olympics made them angry yes but they were already engaged in multiple stories even before that so i don't think personally i don't think that it was just a revenge act for example there was a story this is just one of many, but there was a story that babies were being bought in Mexico and in other Latin American places, brought to the United States, killed, and then their organs were being used by rich people in the United States who needed organ transplants. And that was a story that was circulating even before the Olympics. I remember that story. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even logically consistent, but um, but there... how how do you fight against when somebody wants to believe that? As many people want to believe the U.S. government is doing criminal things, uh, if if they want to believe it, then they will. The best you can do is show why it's not true. Yeah, like information about drinking uh, chlorine or whatever. Um. Well, the, the, like I tried to say before, <laughs> though, is there's there's stupidity and then there's disinformation. That's true. And and I think it's useful to distinguish between them because stupidity is not something that you have to go and disprove because everybody, if they think about it twice or maybe even just think about it once, they know it's stupid. And disinformation, on the other hand, usually has a more elaborate story. It has often a kernel of truth. For example, the very fact that AIDS existed meant that there was a kernel of truth at it. So then you wrap your lies around that inside piece of truth. Yeah, I, I see that. But what is the purpose of telling such a lie? What, what uh, I don't really understand. You mean in Trump's case? No, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, let's say, the, the HIV. What, what was the Soviet Union trying to... To, um... to turn people against each other, to make the society distrust its government and to distrust each other and to make people fight against each other. In the United States, that story was told in a multiple ways, but one of them was, and the most important one was, that AIDS was a weapon designed by the United States government to kill black people. And it became a huge issue, particularly in Chicago, where the Black Panthers, which was a, a radical group at the time, used that story to justify things like firebombings, riots, um, just all kinds of 
negative activity. So if, if the Soviet Union and Russia after it and China can succeed in making the United States turn against itself or making Europe turn against the United States or making Europe turn against NATO, whatever, if they can cause cracks in the wall, if they can cause cracks in the foundation, then it will make it easier for them to be stronger. Yeah, I, I see the logic in that, and, and I have kind of seen it, and we've talked about it in earlier episodes. Actually, one can see it happening in America with, with Trump and the politicians. I mean, everything is turned upside down in just a few years. Then again, you, you keep saying that Donald Trump is kind of ignorant, but still you see it happening almost in front of your eyes. Yes, I think that, that Donald Trump is... A- like I said, some of the things he says, like using bleach to, you know, cleanse yourself inside is stupidity. On the other hand, there are things that he says that are divisive, that sound like he is almost representing what Putin would like for him to say. Exactly. And and so Donald Trump plays both sides. Yeah, but also one can see it in in Europe that I, especially in the, down in Turkey and that uh, all of a sudden Putin and and Erdogan are best friends and they're they're which they weren't a few years ago. I mean, it's kind of a scary progress there. Well, that's that's one more point that in, 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 I would like very much to make, if I may. Yeah, please. That is that Russia, like China has played the long game. In the West, we tend to do things a little fast and expect results right away. But Russia started trying to break Turkey away from NATO back in the 80s. That's when the campaign began and it has been steady and unstoppable. And it has been very effective. And they cultivated Erdogan very early And so Erdogan has always been um, inclined to be softer with regard to Russia than the rest of NATO. And you could even argue that Erdogan is like Donald Trump in that regard, or maybe Donald Trump is like Erdogan, I don't know. But it, it, it is the case that Russia plays the long game. They, they plant something today and they don't expect it necessarily to become a big plant for years. And do you remember how it started in 1980? You mean with Turkey? Yes. Oh, yes. The, the Russians would often uh, meet with the Turks and try to get the Turks to learn Russian, to sponsor their trips. They had lots and lots of cultural trips for the Turks and education, all kinds of things um, to try to get people who would someday be influential to understand the Russian point of view. They also always tried to make sure that their product was 
subsidized so that it would be cheaper for Turkey. And they have always argued to Turkey that Europe doesn't treat Turkey in a fair manner. Mm-hmm. And there are lots and lots of news articles to to that very point, including disinformation articles that point out that the that the EU uh, and NATO have never treated Turkey in a fair manner. We'll, we'll see what what happens over there. But can we uh, move back a little bit uh, to, uh, if you don't mind, about? Um, Taiwan, China, and the COVID-19. What's happening with the disinformation? Only today there was a big, there's a big argument and a big um, about the Chinese uh, trying to not manipulate, but but to. Um, well, the Chinese have not been telling telling the full story, um, according to U.S. officials. It's very hard for those of us out of government to know what is true. When I first heard about the Wuhan Institute of Virology and its lacks, uh, its you know, lack of um, strong measures to control the viruses that they were working with. Um, it bothered me. I wondered if it was a release from that facility instead of the wet market. Um, but it's hard to know because I didn't want to do the same thing to China that Russia did with us on AIDS. You know, Russia accused us of making AIDS. I don't want to accuse China of making COVID-19. No. So uh, it's very important to get it right, to get the facts. And so I think we don't have the facts yet But it is clear, one thing is clear, China did not tell us early uh, about, it didn't tell the rest of the world and didn't tell the WHO early enough. They went and started working on getting personal protective equipment very quickly so that they could get it before the news got out. And they did not give us the genome Excuse me, G- genome, what's that? Genome is when you do the sequencing of the DNA of, of, the, of the virus or the RNA so that you know how the virus is put together biologically. Okay. You have to know that in order to make a vaccine, to make a treatment, to make a test kit, you have to you have to know the genome to do proper research on the virus. Okay. So wh- they did not give us samples of the virus, nor did they give us the genome right away. And they still have not given us complete scientific um, sampling of the various subtypes of the virus. Mm-hmm. But they were they were early on protecting themselves with protective gear, and so they they must have known that something was bad was out there. Certainly, mm. because they started trying to get PPE in December, P- and they didn't tell the world about everything until January. They basically got at least a month head start, maybe more. Okay, and, and what does PBE mean? 
PPE is personal protective equipment. Okay. That's the um, masks, the Tyvek suits, the uh, plastic seals, gloves, and other things that people need to wear in hospitals and research facilities. Okay, yeah. But let me ask you, how long, to your knowledge, has this wet market uh, existed in, in China? Oh, gosh. Wet markets go back for decades and decades and decades. Uh, the Chinese uh, culturally have, uh, for a very, very long time, believed that animal parts um, have special qualities for medicines, for uh, all kinds of problems that humans have. Uh, the story that the Chinese first put out about COVID-19 was that the animal, which is called pangolin, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a mammal, it's the only mammal, I think, that has scales. It is is a hard shell on the outside made of little pieces. Well, I think in Swedish we call it myrkottar. Okay, sorry. And so the pangolin uh, is eaten, but more importantly, its scales are uh, used in medicines and things like um, to to uh, help for erections for men. Okay. Uh, and so they. Chinese sell pangolins, and they said that the COVID-19 was from the pangolin. But that's not, to my knowledge, proven yet. Uh, but wet markets are full of wild animals, and we know that viruses can sometimes jump from particularly uh, mammals to humans. <laughs> They've also been saying, or at least rumors, that the virus came from bats. No, no? Uh, I, I don't think so. There, there have been viruses from bats and coronaviruses from bats, but there, there's no proof that the COVID-19 came from bats. But the Chinese first said that it came from pangolin. For how long have they been um, using pangolins in China? Um, decades and decades and decades and decades, maybe hundreds of years. So why now? Well, that's a question for nature, not, 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 I, I cannot answer, but it is possible, conceivable, I should say, that the pangolin previously did not have such a virus, but that it eventually got such a virus from yet another animal. Okay and that it, the virus mutated to become able to jump from a wild animal to a human. Now, like I said, we don't know, though, no. that's the case. That's true. But, but it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, suspicious laboratory in Wuhan and then this virus sort of jumped. Well, it certainly an indicates that we need more information. And what shall we now be, or what, what can you kind of warn us about uh, what, uh, with disinformation on the, on the COVID-19? Well, I think that everybody has to be careful 
about believing where the virus came from. If you hear something from the US government, from the Russian government, or from the Chinese government, all three of them, uh, or even from the World Health Organization, everybody needs to just wait until more information comes out. It's hard to believe anybody right now. Because even the WHO started repeating what the Chinese said right away, without even questioning. What, what was that that they, they repeated from the Chinese? Uh, the the, the uh, WHO immediately said China had just discovered the, um, the virus. The Chinese put out statistics about how many had been affected. The WHO said, as if they were WHO's statistics, that they had been able to independently confirm this. Well, then, uh, three weeks later, the Chinese changed the numbers, making the WHO look like a fool. The, the WHO uh, has just taken everything that the Chinese government has said and put it out almost like they're putting out their own press releases. So who should one believe then today? I think that what you have to do is look at as many sources of information you can and look for what is logical. Everybody has to start questioning and you can say, well, oh my gosh, what have we come to that we can't believe anybody? Well, that's what we have come to. You can't just believe anybody. You can't anymore. So what you're saying is read as much information as possible before you make up your mind or, or don't even make up your mind, just be open about it. No, read as much information as you can. Also try to make sure that what you are reading is from a credible source. I mean, we all know that certain newspapers are sensationalist. That's not where we should get our news. We should get it from someplace that actually does good research and tries to find out the truth. And can you uh, give an example of that? Well, um, I can, but what comes to mind is not COVID-19, but may I give a different example? Yeah, please. Um, for example, I was reading about the US government has been giving away uh, money for loans in the United States for companies. Yeah. And all of a sudden we are learning that the money went not to the small companies that they were intended for, but instead for the already rich countries. And of course, uh, the government immediately clamped down and would not give out any information about who received the money. Well, this morning there is an excellent article in the New York Times about which co companies have received the money. Now, why do I believe that story? I believe the story because the New York Times, A, is pretty credible, usually they do good research, yeah. and B, they named names and gave statistics and gave details about how to find those pieces of information. So if somebody gives you a reason for believing something and gives you additional resources to help you validate or prove something, then it becomes more believable. Okay. Is this some? Is this a bit like in with the, in the film um, the, the Operation Infection, where they give it the example of 
that article of HIV that you were talking about. And what was it in in that original article that that made up that made you suspicious about that it was uh, fake news or disinformation? Well, the first the first thing was the content. I didn't believe it. No. Uh, the second thing was the language. It was written in English that a non it was non-native speaker. I, it, it clearly was not written by an English speaker. And so I started worrying about that. But also I knew that the Patriot was a newspaper that received Communist Party funding, front group funding. So it was very likely to be a microphone for disinformation. So it, it was um, already suspect to me. But, you know, it was interesting, the Russians or the Soviets then uh, recognized that their story didn't have much credibility. So they hired two scientists to try to uh, make the story look more scientific. Mm -hmm. And these two scientists wrote a paper, which when you read it, it, it If you are not a scientist, you think, oh, they are saying something important because I don't understand it. But if you're a scientist, you read it and you say, oh, my gosh, this is a joke. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, if you know what you're looking for, it helps. But if you don't know what you're looking for, then you must just be very careful. If things look crazy, then they might be crazy. So if you think something doesn't look believable, you have to question it more closely. People say, oh, Russia does disinformation and so does the United States. Even Donald Trump said that. Mm. But you know what? We may do a little bit here and there, but we don't have a giant organization that has over 10,000 people whose only job is to do disinformation. And only Russia and China have those kind of organizations. No Western country has units of people who are dedicated to generating disinformation. Okay, I think that was a fantastic ending to uh, to this interview. And I, I don't know how to thank you, Kathleen, but uh, thank you very much. And I do hope that maybe I can call you back on another episode if something turns up. Of course. And thank you. Uh, and thank your audience for being uh, willing to listen to this very important topic. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. My name is Mikael Hulin and I'm really honored that you are listening to my podcast. You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram and the pages Spice Up Your Life where I will post extra material from each episode. Hope you enjoy and until next time, thank you. Bye bye.